Tone Vendors, a sound designer's podcast. Here are your hosts, Timothy and Renee. Okay, I am here in my bedroom speaking into a pair of MXL 440 microphones. I want to talk about a couple of things today. The first one is the story of how I came across these microphones. There was a sale on these microphones on B&H a little while back. And these are not expensive microphones to begin with. They're about 50-60 bucks street price. But B&H had them marked down to 30 bucks each. And uh, I decided to pick them up. Now the money I used to buy these microphones came from what I call my production equipment bank account. And that bank account and the thought process behind it is the first thing that I want to discuss a little bit today. Now, I'm not the first person with the idea of this, obviously, but the specific tempo and methodology I actually picked up from a blog post about real estate. Um, And I'm not into real estate, but it just came across my radar one day. And the idea is this. You create a separate bank account in a different bank from your normal working account. And the reason you do that is so that when you siphon money off from your normal account, it feels like it just disappears. It feels like it's already spent. It's not in a place where mentally you're going to be tapping into it if you need money for incidental things. And that's very powerful psychologically. And also, I guess, financially. The other nice thing is, depending on how your personal relationships are structured, it removes the burden of justifying the expense to anyone else that may be observing or sharing an account you would use to purchase equipment with. So in my particular case, my wife and I have a joint bank account. Both of our paychecks go into that bank account. All of our bills come out of that one bank account. And so what I do is twice a month, I auto transfer 40 bucks into my production equipment account and I just let it accumulate. And if I have something specific that I want to buy, I can wait for the money to stack up enough to where I can go buy the thing. If I don't have something specific, I'm saving up for, then what I can do is I can just kind of watch the internet and watch the world. And if a particularly high value deal comes across, I can jump on that kind of thing with no regrets and no remorse and be happy with it. And I found that works really, really well for me. So in the first case, I really had my eyes set on an Arturia Mini Brute analog synthesizer, mono synth. Mostly because I need to get better personally at synthesis. And that particular tool is really interesting sounding. It's cool, it's big, it's thick, it's gritty. It's analog, it's mono, it's got patch cables. Um, You know, it's just a very knobby, handsy tool. And it's something that I wanted to buy and use in order to learn. And so I just let that... 80 bucks a month trickle into my production account until I had enough to go on eBay and find one. 
And that worked out great. You know, I had to be patient. I had to wait several months in order to buy the thing. But I bought it. I bought it cash. And the whole process went really well. Once I had that mini brood in and I'm playing with it and I'm learning on it, my money is still trickling out month by month into my production account. And after a while, you know, there's 60, 80, 100 bucks in there. And I find myself needing certain accessories, you know, tripods, things like that. And so I'm picking up the little parts and pieces of my kit that just kind of help make my day-to-day recording better, more ergonomic, more stable, more solid, that kind of thing. And so when B&H put these mics on sale, you know, I had a hundred bucks in my account or something like that. So it was an easy decision to pull the trigger on that, get the couple of mics in, and at the same time, go ahead and get the modification kits in for these mics and do it with no regrets and do it with cash I had on hand that was specifically designated for this usage. And I'm just super happy with how this whole thing has been working out. I've only been doing it for, I don't know, a year, if that, year and a half. But it's working so well that I set a separate one up for my wife. So she's got her own money that's trickling off into her own account that I'm not looking at. Um, So if she wants to buy things without stressing about, you know, anything like that, um, she can do so. So it's been working great for her. Well, and the other thing that it's shown is that we can take that kind of a monthly hit in income uh, and be no worse for the wear, which is really nice. Um, To some degree, I even want to increase it even a little bit more and further invest in my own equipment and my own gear. Now, along those lines... I'm in a unique position in that I work at a facility at Dallas Audio Post where I can go into work and I have access to a lot of really high-end gear and really great microphones. And for a big chunk of the early part of my career, that was enough. I was totally happy to go to work in the afternoons or in the weekends and play with gear and learn what I was doing and do all of that. But at a certain point, it started to become very important for me to build and develop my own personal rig. And there's a couple of reasons for that. The first is that even though I have access to the gear at work, it's not 100% unfettered access. You know, the gear at work is available for rent. The gear at work is in use on jobs sometimes. And so When I have a specific complex recording I need to go do, I know that I can go grab the mics that I need to a large degree and get it done. But that's with a certain amount of planning and foresight and the whole thing. When I have a recording that I want to do more spur of the moment, it becomes more important for me to have a solid recording rig in my house, on my person, unfettered, unrestricted, that uh, no one else has any claim on. So at first it was enough to just have a little handheld recorder. But as I started to want to do more and more different kinds of recordings, I felt it ended up being more important for me to have a higher end and more capable personal rig. And I actually just really enjoy it. So that's the first thing. 
The second thing is, it allows me to do things like what I'm talking about today, which is taking and building and modifying and doing different stuff to the gear itself. So I could never go to the office and grab a Shep's microphone and start taking it apart and messing with it in any way. <laughs> that would be problematic. So for me to learn more about how these things work and to play and just, you know, kind of be my normal geeky self, I got to operate on my own toys. And I've done a fair amount of that. You know, in the past, I built a ribbon microphone from a kit and, um, I'm not deep, deep in the DIY world, but I enjoy dabbling every so often because uh, it's fun and because I learn a whole lot from it. So let's talk about what we've done here. Just to reiterate, I've got a pair of MXL 440 microphones that I'm speaking into. They are standing on a tripod. They're on my Shure stereo mount with the capsules exactly right next to each other. They're about six inches from my mouth. I'm in my bedroom. And one of these mics is modified and the other is stock. Now the modification of it is the cap upgrade from micmods.com. And it's literally, you know, a $9 set of new capacitors that you chuck on the circuit board in the mic. The modification itself, while it's not technically complex, it's a little bit fiddly and my soldering skills are moderate at best right now. So I was worried when I was halfway through the mod that I might have destroyed one of the mics because my soldering iron got a little hot and the trace actually lifted up off the circuit board as I was trying to connect one of the, uh, one of the new caps to it. Fortunately, as you can hear, the mic actually works fine. Although if you were to uh, open it up and look at it, you'd probably scold me a bit for the way that it looks. But as long as it sounds good, it is good. So I'm happy with that. Um, so for the duration of this podcast, I want to give you a little audio cue so you can hear exactly which mic you're listening to. So when you hear this, you are listening to the stock MXL440. And when you hear this, you are listening to the modified MXL440. Now again, the modification of it is the caps mod is the cap mod. There are a number of other mods you can do to these mics. You can swap out the actual microphone capsules with higher end capsules, which is something I may consider. Although to be fair, these mics sound nice enough right now to where I might not even go that far because the capsules, when you swap them, cost significantly more than the mic bodies themselves. So there'd have to be a real good reason for me to um, to crack these open again. But with that said, um, you know I may do it, or you know if something else comes on sale, I might grab um, I might grab another one and, and cap mod that guy. My intent with this pair is to run this test right now, run the podcast, listen to the differences, and then go ahead and upgrade the second mic so that they uh, can work as a matched pair again, or at least as a stereo pair again, if they're not perfectly matched, so be it. But I've actually recorded the last two podcasts with the unmodded MXL440, and I've been very happy with it. Although I will say that I've been um, even happier with the modded one in the couple of tests I've run. So just to illustrate a couple of things, again, I'm about six inches away right now. I'm going to back up to about a foot away. And this is in an untreated bedroom. So here I am a foot away in an untreated bedroom. 
just as these mics can hear the verb a little bit. I don't expect caps to do much with regards to verb, but I just want this as a baseline. Now I'm back to six inches away. I'm not running with a pop filter at all, so I'm having to be careful with my P's as I'm speaking. This is a typical voiceover distance for me. This is what I'm very used to. And I'm gonna get a little closer. Here I am right up on top of them. I'm about two or three inches away now. And this is where we should be able to hear the biggest difference with regards to how these mics handle proximity effect and how, how they handle low end and uh, maybe even some transient response, some mouth noises which are inevitably showing up when I'm this close and that type of thing. So I wanted to just give you enough speech to where you can hear me switching back and forth between these two microphones, one modded and one unmodded, especially at very close proximity here. I'm about two inches away. You may be able to really hear a difference there. We'll see exactly how that translates. Also, as I back up to a normal distance here, it's also important to recognize the degree to which modifications may or may not translate all the way down the chain. So, you know, I'm going to make these recordings. I'm going to match um, the processing and put them out as an MP3 on a podcast. And you might be listening to it while you're out on a run or while you're listening to the, while you're in a car with some other noise. And um, if the modifications don't translate a whole lot across all those different barriers, that'll be revealing as well. Uh, I want to talk about the rest of my signal path here. I have these two microphones going into my trusty MixPre 3. I have the MixPre 3 set in stereo linked mode. So my channel one preamp, as I move it around here, is actually controlling both mics simultaneously. So my levels are exactly matched in the software of the MixPre 3. Just to take some human error out of that. There's no other filters going on, no low pass, no high pass, none of that. At least into the recorder. And that's kind of that. They, they each have their own cable, obviously, because they are unique microphones. Um, and that's that. So I will say that I find that the human voice is not a great test for microphones because the human voice tends to be nice and round and pleasing and your brain is really, really wired to forgive a lot of um, differences in the human voice. So I'm going to break out some acoustic guitar and I'll play a little bit of some acoustic in front of these mics. And um, what you want to listen for when you're listening to acoustic guitar and evaluating a microphone is frequency response, Frequency extension, low end, high end, transient response, the way it handles reverberation and proximity, and all of those types of things. I think acoustic guitars tend to be very revealing with regards to how microphones sound. So what I have is a nylon string, acoustic here. I'm about one foot away from the sound hole of this acoustic. Take my ring off because my ring tends to bang. This is a nylon string. This is my uh, my dad's old guitar. Thank you. 
I'm just going to use a pick. It sounds pretty nice, at least in my cans right now. I'm gonna back up a little bit just for fun here. Yes, there's a snake rattle in my guitar. My daddy always said that the snake rattle makes the guitar sound good. that test. I might see if I can find something else to do. Okay. Here's my idea for another test. Crows are out crawling. Here's my modded mic. Here's my unmodded mic. These guys are in ORTF outside. I'm going to let them both roll simultaneously for a little bit of some ambiences.
Thanks for listening to Tonebenders. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. To support the show, go to ToneBendersPodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a tip. You can also download and listen to our entire show archive there and leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the Tonebenders on Twitter or find Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at tonebenderspodcast.com.